Welcome to Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito. I'm here with the amazing Shelly Mazzanobel. Yes. Hi, you have Shelley. the amazing Shelly today. Amazing Shelly. Yeah. As opposed to the so-so Shelly. Yeah, you know, the normal Shelly. Wow. You are a little bit amazing today. I am, because I'm really excited about our guest. Yes, yes. Our guest is uh, Mr. Ben Cameron, mm-hmm. and he'll be talking about playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, for birthday parties and also adult parties. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, with, with clothes on. <laughs> we'll talk all about that. But the coolest part is just being able to live the dream of uh, uh, getting paid to Dungeon Master. Yes. And he also does more than birthday parties. What? He also uses D&D to teach life skills. What? Mm-hmm. And works with uh, children with Asperger's. I took... And teaches D&D to help them with gain social skills. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I think he's probably going to be a little bit more articulate than I just was. No, I think the pauses were you just coming up with the dramatic. most amazing things to talk about. Very dramatic. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so cool. Uh, I can't wait to uh, talk to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but first we have some fun things we like to talk about. Uh, Storm King's Thunder is out in stores. Go buy it. It is amazing. Uh, it is a very Finally. fun adventure. Um, you got probably got a preview of it at PAX um, with Chris Perkins running the Acquisitions Incorporated gang uh, through an adventure that was very uh, giant-themed. You might even say that there was some giant smashing going on. Maybe. Yes, it was a smashing good time. A smashing success. Yeah, and I hope, uh, I can't wait to hear from the people who watched it in more than 300 movie theaters across the U.S. of A., thanks to Fathom Events, making it broadcast live. Crazy. Yeah, insane. So uh, uh, those of uh, you who only get to watch it live during PAX every year, now you get to be with a whole group of uh, friends, and uh, I can't wait to hear how it went. Um, and hopefully we'll do a bunch more of those. Yeah, definitely. Um, what else is going on? Betrayal at House on the Hill, the Expansion's expansion. Expansion's coming soon. Yeah, it's in October, right? October 14th. October 14th. I Just in time that. for Halloween. Just in time. Start planning those Halloween parties now. Yeah. We'll have to talk to Ben about uh, making sure... He includes uh, that board game in his uh, Halloween-themed parties. Maybe that's like another uh, business opportunity. Yeah, it sounds like it's a business opportunity for you and uh, Avalon Hill. (laughs) Well, I mean like throwing Avalon Hill, I mean betrayal birthday parties. Yeah. What better way to say thank you for coming to my party. And there are two kids in the game. That's so true. It works perfectly. Here, you're going to play the small child. Oops. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about smashing you in the face with a <laughs> chainsaw. And is there like a flesh-eating <laughs> child or something? The flesh child. The flesh child. Christopher yeah. Bedell. That was the first. Were you in that, that playtest with me? I don't think I was. Oh, it was the first one I playtested. I never got over it. Yeah, it's creepy. The flesh child. The first. The it's first. As creepy. disgusting and creepy as it sounds. Yeah. It sounds amazing. We also have uh, Bolo's Guide to Monsters is coming yeah. in October. Um, it is a uh, take on a few very iconic monsters. Uh, we'll delve deep into like Mind Flayers. That's and like the coolest cover too, ever. Oh, God, I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hydro 74, Joshua Smith made that cover for us, and it is so sweet. Cool. So, yeah, for those of you who don't know, it's a limited edition cover that's only going to be in game stores. Uh, we're not we're not uh, uh, printing any more of them. It'll be limited run. So you got to get it yeah. as soon as you see it in your game store. And it's it. the exact same insides as the other cover. It's just the cover that's Yeah, different. so it's just the cover that's different. So it's not like a whole new edition. You don't have to feel like you have to get both. But if you wanted to collect them, I'm not going to stop you. you Will you just, stop them? No. 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 You won't. 
you can just display it. You can display it and proudly. And then use the other one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody else knows this yet, but he actually made four like alt covers of that special cover uh, with four inspired. of the monsters. Yeah, right. So it's all there's there's a mind flare, there's a, uh, a beholder, Where, a gnoll, and a yuan ti. Where do we get those? I don't know. You just have this they, they, beautiful the art images exist. Here? They may be in T-shirt form. They oh, may be yeah. on a notebook. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll Trapper come up with keepers. Yes. Yeah, we're bringing back Trapper Keepers, number one. Number two, and then we're going to put that in uh, uh, in them all over, all over the place. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we're working with the Duffer Brothers on that. Aw. No, I'm just kidding. Aw, don't But we should, we should. Duffer Brothers, if you're out there. <laughs> Give us a call, 917 <laughs> <laughs> I love that show so much. The Stranger Things? Yeah. I'm gonna call, everything is the, I the. don't know if you noticed. The Stranger Things is, uh, is, is badass. Yeah. So and there's a season two coming, which... Uh, Did it get greenlit? I believe uh, oh. it is, yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Ben Cameron is nodding. That means it because has... Because I was... Last I heard... It I know. Was like, it wasn't. And it then would, I think Even it, the people at Netflix were like, it would be really dumb not to. <laughs> yeah, which like is not really a confirmation, <laughs> right. but we're pretty sure. Right. Yeah. And I can't wait for, for more uh, D&D integration with, uh, with, uh, with all that show. It's going to be I want to talk to those kids. Me too. I wonder if they are like... This D and D thing. We should. Very cool. We should get or, our guest uh, to run a birthday party for them. Oh, that would be awesome. This is like a win-win. Worlds colliding. Nice. All right. So before we get to uh, our interview with Ben, we're going to uh, just jump in with Chris Perkins and Matt Cernet to talk some more lore you should know. And this is where we insert the lore <laughs> directly into your brain. Welcome to Lore You Should Know. I'm joined uh, by two amazing gentlemen. I have Mr. Matt Cernet. Howdy. And Chris Perkins. Greetings. And we're here to talk about the Fey Wild. Ooh. It is wild and Fey at the same time. Uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what can you tell us about where what this plane is all about? It started off in early editions as the Plane of Fairy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and with uh, fourth edition, got its got a new name, mm-hmm. or an additional name, actually, the Feywild. And uh, basically, it is a parallel plane to what we call the material plane, which is the plane on which our worlds reside. It is sort of one of two mirror planes, um, the other being the Shadowfell. The Feywild is more like um, a happy uh, reflection in some respects, and the shadow, whereas the Shadowfell is a very dark reflection, this one's a lighter one. But to say that the Feywild is a light place would be selling it short, mm. um, because if you go back into fairy myths, uh, they run the gamut from um, quite benign to uh, creepily malevolent. I would say that's definitely true, and I, and I think that um, when we think about the Feywild in sort of the modern fifth edition context. Uh, it's a place of um, uh, just incredible um, variety and beauty and, and um, eeriness and all kinds of things like that. But it's also a realm of emotion uh, where some, to some degree those emotions are made manifest with actual creatures. So there will be beings that represent those emotions and... Um, and it's a much more sort of morally um, hmm, a mysterious realm. Uh, the the sort of seely and unseely, the the um, 
the various courts of uh, the what is the summer court and the gloaming court are yeah. um, they aren't exactly good and evil. Uh, the Queen uh, Titiana, I believe it is, uh, it she might be nice and summary to you uh, one moment and uh, just completely awful the next. Um, the Queen of Air and Darkness, which is a, a character that has deep roots in the lore of the game, is uh, the uh, leader of the Gloaming Court and, and the Unseelie. And uh, she's sort of equally... Um, uh, ambiguous. Ambiguous, yeah. I mean, she's certainly more on the dark side than the light. But again, uh, it might be someone who, with whom you can actually uh, deal and have a conversation and actually gain benefits from mm. um, or even do, have, do good things. Uh, whereas the Shadowfell, I think, is... Uh, uh, much darker realm, much less in the way of sort of emotion, um, um, much sort of uh, single tone kind of place. So are these uh, yeah, separate? It's more like deadened emotions. Yes. Um, as opposed to the sort of vibrant, over-the-top emotions of the Feywild. All right, that's a good way to, to really think about it. That makes yeah. sense. Um, are these courts uh, that you mentioned, are they the elves? Are they demigods? What, what, what are these leaders? So the um, there's various figures that are uh, sort of important, um, powerful figures in these courts that aren't aren't really gods as such, uh, but they are powerful beings in in their own right. Uh, they have very broad and mysterious powers within their own realm. Um, sort of like a, a dark lord in a Ravenloft domain can mm. exercise power over its domain. An archfey in a failed in a Feywild domain can basically do the same, shape the landscape to reflect their moods and idiosyncrasies. And they're all, how did they get this power though? That's where I guess the, the question that, is. that's the, I mean they they're really ancient figures in the sort of world of the myth of D and D, and so like the, the Queen of Air and Darkness is a very strange figure. Uh, the, so the uh, Queen uh, Tiana and the Queen of Air and Darkness are uh, sisters, but oh. uh, the Queen of Air and Darkness is a uh, black diamond th floating above a throne in this sort of starscape chamber room. Uh, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I can relate. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've, been, I've been a black diamond yeah. before. It's yeah. it's pretty awesome. So, and then you know, the, the Queen Titiana is is the, the summer queen, and and she is a more sort of uh, relatable elf like figure. Um, but are they elves? No, I, they're 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 something else. Okay. Uh, there's a there's a character that hasn't been written about very much, but it's uh, Hearsome, and that's I think that's his name. Yeah. And that's the sort of the Lord of the Satyrs. But is he a satyr exactly? Mm, no, not exactly. They're, they're all sort of unique beings of their own. Yeah, mm -hmm. all the Archfey are unique and similar to you know demon lords. They they've got their own identity. Their or their power comes to some extent from the the plane in which they live. They've just figured out ancient ways to harness it. You know, if you live long enough, and they live a long time, right? You start to figure things out. Yeah. So they were always of the Feywild then. Uh, we there is no indication they've been anywhere else. Yeah. 
And they are the two courts aren't exactly enemies. Um, they are enemy. They're frenemies. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're sometimes foes, but most of the time it's a lot of uh, sort of politics with one another and playing little games um, and tit for tat type stuff. Uh, whereas the pawns of those games are are that could be life or death for them certainly, but um, for the the archfey it, it is this long term. Yeah, just imagine two sprawling secret kingdoms in the wilderness living side by side, and their rulers are a touch mad. Um, yeah, and they're just sort of, sort of forced to cohabit this realm and share mm-hmm. their power. It does seem like a very uh, uh, ancient, you know, are from our culture. Like it, it draws on a lot of things, like Alice in Wonderland and uh, you know the Seely and Unseely courts is uh, legends that have you know been in human culture for a long time. So it's interesting to see, like, okay, in D and D culture, how is it different and how is it, you know, like a thing? And the question that I always want to be like is, well, they're 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 from. You know, there, there's there, obviously the elves have a, a connection with with the Feywilds. Uh, how does that relate to to this? Well, so it, it gets a bit muddy and murky in the the fourth edition era, but uh, because the the the, uh, the sort of adoption of the term Aladrin to to um, uh, change how we viewed um, the moon and the sun elves, uh, but. If you go way back into the lore, uh, there's the idea that elves came from the plane of fairy, mm. uh, which uh, in and of itself is 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 interesting and strange because um, their deities, their pantheon, you know, the Corallon and and all those other elf deities and so on, exist in um, mainly in one plane, and it is very fairy-like in its description, and so. Was that intended to be the place where they came from, or was it intended to be this alternate plane of fairy? And uh, it's kind of hard to tell from if you look back into the lore, but I would say a, a per- perfectly legitimate uh, sort of interpretation would be the gods of the elves made the elves in the world of the plane of fairy, and that then those elves emigrated from fairy into the Forgotten Realms. I see. And became the kingdoms that would basically become the sun elves and the moon elves and the wild elves and so on and so forth. Interesting. All right. I like that interpretation. I love also the interpretation of your role as the, the person who looks at all these ancient scriptures and figures out the, uh, 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 the story between them all. Yep. That's my nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Cernet, prophet of D&D. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, there's definitely a lot to mine there, but I'm thinking about uh, 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 more segments where we talk more about the Shadowfell and other uh, uh, planes of existence. So, interesting. I think we only scratched the surface, but I think there's more oh, yes. to talk about. Agreed. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Till that time. So, uh, radio, a uh, radio. Robot Shelly, did you get the Burp, lore insertion? Burp. Yes. Wow. I am... So smart. You feel smarter now. I need to go to a dinner party. <laughs> a dinner and talk, party. And talk about. In which we will play the Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, so I can say, oh, I love the salad. Did you know? And then I can just drop some of the lore I know. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a, that's a very apt way to use that that's segment. How else do you use it? I, I don't know. I drop it into dinner parties all the time. And people are like, <laughs> um, I don't Please care about what the Lord's Enclave is doing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, by the way, who are you? <laughs> Whose friend are you? I'm just, I'm just a guy who showed up to this dinner party. I don't know. <laughs> happens a lot. Uh, but I'm excited to talk to uh, our guest. Let's Who is do here it. in the office with us Which in Renton, Washington. Also very exciting. Yeah. 
It's very rare we get uh, someone who is uh, as distinguished as this in person. So, Ben, welcome. Ben Cameron. Ben! Hello. Was that weird, us talking about you for so long with you being here? Don't look at him. No. Don't just talk about him. Don't look directly at him. How could you not talk about me? Did you see his shirt? Oh, my God. And I I will say, for the record, that uh, we'll call my head nodding um, enthusiastic hope. Did you watch it, Ben? Um, Or are you watching it? No. It's hard uh, for me to watch certain programs because I have five kids at home. So the time windows in which I get to watch anything that I don't want them to see Mm -hmm. is basically from 11 p.m. till 2 a.m. And I spend most of that time writing and prepping Oh. But in the summer, they go to bed late, and it <laughs> yeah. creates challenges. Yeah. Can't happens. wait for school for, to start, right? What's, yeah. What's the age range of the five children at home? Um, my kids are uh, they're 12, 10, 8, 6, and 3. Wow. 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 <laughs> you have to check the math every time, right? See, the yeah. problem is every year it changes. Well, and one, one, <laughs> Just one when of them you get is used off the pattern. It. It, they're, they're, they're two yeah. years apart until the last one, and then I always feel like, am I forgetting somebody? No. No, yeah, it's that feeling that, like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not following the pattern. Yeah. It's the same thing that makes me double-check all the car seats before I drive. Are they all actually sitting down? Yes. <laughs> all right, are they all buckled in? All right, good. You, do, you, do you actually transport them all at the same time? Um, for carpool in the morning at school, yeah. Wow. I, I do three schools. <gasps> all over town, and I don't then know how anyone does this. I don't know how I, I have to. <laughs> you guys just have the one, and it's I, like the hardest thing I in the can't. world. Like well, sometimes we just like leave the house without him. Like, did did you? Have, <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah. He's, he's just gonna. Out. He's just gonna watch <laughs> Thomas all day. Accidentally brought the puppy instead. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so uh, Ben, you work uh, is Bespoke Legends your company? Yes. And yes. is it just you? Yeah. Just do you have me. any employees? Not as of yet. No. Do, would you like one? <laughs> Are you applying? Yeah, if if I can find somebody who uh, compliments my skill set and has the passion and is ready to do the work, then yeah. Nice. So uh, uh, tell our listeners what exactly uh, Bespoke Legends is all about. Well, Bespoke Legends is the umbrella under which uh, all of my professional dungeon mastering work occurs. Um, hopefully, at the end of this year, Legends Bespoke will become my imprint, and all that material will become available to the public through the Dungeon Masters Guild and oh, wow. anyone else who will sell it. Yay. Yeah, great. Um, but with Bespoke Legends, essentially, you're hiring me to, for the birthday party context, uh, do a three-hour birthday party with a complete original plot based on you or your child's uh, favorite film, TV, movies, video games that are even if they're not on genre, I can still get the sort of feel of them, get a feel for what you love in a story. And then I just put together a three-act structure, get all the minis and everything organized, and uh, jump into it. It's, um, yeah, although actually I, I bring costumes, voices, puppets, uh, terrain, all sorts of stuff in order to just maximize the excitement of it. And that actually is a spinoff of Dungeon School, which is my after-school programs, which is where it gets into uh, the, 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 the teaching end. But it's actually a stealth writing class. I don't tell oh. the kids it's a writing class. Mm-hmm. Nice. No, I never tell them that, not, not once. I tell the parents that, because the kids don't want to hear it. So but all I, the listeners, the kids at home, were listening to Dragon Talk. Yeah. It's not a writing the class. Jig is up. <laughs> it's not a writing class. <laughs> you, know, well, you know, you 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 get into it as much as you put out uh, you get out of it as much as you put into it, which is how any good class should be. Um, my end of it is the performance. That that's what I do. Is is I've, I, I what I do is more performance art than dungeon mastering in some ways. Because um, I I'm there to get the excitement up, and then the kids 
basically I dangle power in front of them. Mm -hmm. They in my classes you don't get to you don't get experience points or treasure. You level up rhythmically in accordance with the arc of the module that I've created for that class for that year. And then, um, and I upgrade your equipment progressively because you're a part of the Apotheosis Institute, which the kids call Dungeon School because <laughs> they view it more as a punishment and a prison, as a lot of people view boarding academies as a porous to uh, an institute meant to create uh, godlike warriors to help defend us from the neverborn who are progressively collapsing reality in on us. Um, so this is the story of uh, uh, the world that you've created for yes. that after school program. Yeah, it well, it it started out actually uh, when we moved. Everywhere I've ever moved in my life, D&D has been sort of the way that I met people and got to know people yeah, and became a part of the local community. Yeah, I, I, I love hearing that story because it, make, it makes it my journey seem more natural. And uh, What's the story? The story of people who, oh, okay. um, who you know, they find their local communities or they move someplace and they find their community through Dungeons & Dragons. Are you worried that we've, like, we're talking about you I thought, I thought, there, was, I thought there was some, like, specific you story. That, I, uh, I was just looking at her because... I, I've heard her voice on the podcast many times discussing I the haven't. issue. Shelly hasn't heard her own voice. I can't listen to my yeah. voice. Um, Sorry. Uh, so, yeah. So, tell us a little bit about, uh, like, uh, so there's two things here. There's the birthday parties and then there's the, the dungeon the, school. But yeah. So, the birthday parties, say, like, I, uh, what's, like, run us through an example of, like, uh, an adult who, who contacts you, says, my, uh, you know, five-year-old wants yeah, to do what, a what's birthday like the, party. What's the typical age that I, this is going to? The youngest kids I've ever worked with were eight. Okay. Um, that's very challenging. Um, attention spans are, are, are very tight. Yeah. Um, I have to be very ready to let them go and come, and it's, it's very fluid. Uh, it's hard to, to maintain their focus in the same way because they do not care as much about the, the little intricate puzzles or um, details of complicated NPCs. They just they don't get caught on those same narrative points. Right. Um, most of the kids I've had very successful birthday parties with uh, were between 10 and 13. Okay. Um, mostly with kids who know the game to some degree. I think on worst case scenario, I'll have 50% of the kids don't know it at all. Mm -hmm. um, but usually I can explain it very rapidly. The concepts are very basic. There's literary or mythical and legendary examples of every class and every race. So I can explain any of those concepts with simple ideas that I can just throw at them. And they usually know what they want. If I tell them, what's your favorite character in a fantasy book, movie, game, anything, they'll come back. Um, best example I had uh, last semester was a kid who joined right at the end of the year and didn't know anything, and he wanted to play Link from The Legend of Zelda. Right. So I handed him a fighter champion and let him do some writing to get some specialized items to match more of Link's gear. And by the end of the term, he was basically playing exactly what he wanted. Yeah. You got to so give it, him a boomerang yeah. and a hook yeah. shot and all the things that he needs. And then those are, those, are, those are my tricks there. There is that they want those things. That's where they have to do the work. They have to write a short story beginning, middle, end, showing oh. how they got it, from whom they got it, and how they used it at least once to resolve a problem. And, of course, the requirements vary dramatically there by child. The most prolific kid I had last year wrote almost 40 pages. And then on the other end, I have a kid who uh, struggles with dysgraphia and dyslexia, and I considered him uh, also one of my most successful writers because he produced about 10 pages. That's amazing. Yeah, because for the him... the parents have to be absolutely thrilled. Yeah, and it's... Uh, they, they have been. In fact, the, the nicest thing I've had said was one of them told me that uh, their therapist said that if he had had my class earlier, he wouldn't have needed the therapy. 
Wow. I'm hoping that Ooh, somewhere out there some kids. You need to get that doctor to, like, blurb you. <laughs> to, to write it down you somewhere. You get some of that sweet therapist money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start taking insurance. <laughs> Uh, very cool. All right. So, uh, uh, yeah, it makes much more sense to have uh, uh, kids who are a little bit older so that they're yeah. able to grasp a little bit. But so yeah. if it's someone uh, uh, comes to you and they say, here's, here's my I, – I was fascinated by the fact that you said you could get stuff that's not in genre and kind of make it feel like it's mm-hmm. got the same feel. So what is the thing that was most outside of the fantasy wheelhouse that you were able to corral in and make it feel like it was part of uh, uh, the same world? I feel like most of the tropes and symbolic sets that make something fantasy are are not necessarily tied to the structure of the genre. Mm-hmm. I because um, there, there's a setting I have, or there's a piece of the setting uh, that I call the first mother. It's this forty mile long dragon um, that's sailing out through uh, the outer outer rim of the solar system. Yeah. And, uh, I've had two campaigns and about up to be a third set there. The my first birthday party was set there and it was a kid who's really into dragons. Um, he really liked fable Haven. So there's this component where the inside of the dragon's body, all the different organs contained different draconic entities and different species of dragons. And it's actually the place where all the dragons in the surviving universe go to reproduce. Mm. So there's this pilgrimage component. They weren't able to make their pilgrimage because the uh, first mother was sick and was vomiting green fire, and they oh. had to oh. go in the other way, which the, the kids loved. They love potty humor. If there's golems, a dragon who's uh, vomiting, yeah. I'm not going in the yeah, other way. Yeah, they, and they flew in, they, they flew in the <laughs> other sorry. way in a giant steampunk mechanical fish that was swimming through the aether. So a lot of these are... They're borderline. I'm taking fantasy structures, but I'm playing with a little steampunk, and I'm playing with a little straight-up science fiction, frankly. Right. And, and a little poop humor. Right, yeah, right. But, right. And all of that stuff fits <laughs> in the wheelhouse, and I think that's the glory of something, uh, of role-playing games in general and of Dungeons & Dragons, and I think 5th edition in particular hones in a nice, clean set of sharp, concise rules that can be applied generally but are not so technical and consuming that you have to spend any time really thinking about any given situation. Right. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. uh, 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 I mean, the thing that popped in my brain, too, and I wonder if you're going to get this more now, is, like, kids being like, oh, I want to be a Ghostbuster and in Dungeons and & Dragons and, like, making that kind of, you know, fun thing. Or, like, I want to be a, a, a ninja. How does that work? And, and Well, what I'd say to that is uh, from second advanced onward, as soon as I was old enough to figure out how to min-max mm-hmm. and how to start trying to break the system in any way I can. Um, third was one of my favorite places for that because the extended feat system oh, <laughs> yeah. you basically do anything. Yeah, especially after so, all the splat books were, were, were out there and then there was all the other D20 stuff. Like, you could do pretty much anything. Right, exactly. It was, with the open gaming license, it was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I've, I've always tried to understand how to break the mechanic and with a birthday because I'm only running for three hours and it just has to be what they want to the maximum degree yeah one I can usually break the mechanics and skew them in the direction of whatever they want and two for the birthday kid especially they just get what they want yeah so if a birthday kid wanted to play a Ghostbuster um, it would depend on the other features of what they wanted I imagine I would it would depend on the kid. If they were, if they and their guests were comfortable with horror, I would totally do a haunted house scenario, something nice and dark and enclosed and tight, and keep the lights low. Maybe light some candles, like get a real good vibe going. And then, yeah. um, th- at least that kid and all the rest of them, if that's how they wanted to play it, would have essentially 
it would just be a, a wand of spirit control. Something yeah, something like that. I mean, it's just a magic it. item that just does what they want it to do. And then the rest of it's all just normal narrative structure stuff. Because essentially Ghostbusters is a fantasy thing. With exactly. The magic is, oh, they've got a nuclear reactor on their back. Yeah. Yeah, so you just do the same thing. Yeah, but I love I loved those mixing up of tropes. Uh, I mean, I remember when I heard about a... Uh, uh, I never actually played this adventure, but I wanted to. But it was uh, a diehard kind of a similar thing where you were like caught in a in a, in a uh, one location and uh, you didn't know how to get out, and there was a, you know all the bad guys were just trying to do like some caper in there, and you get stuck. Uh, uh, so yeah, scenarios like that where kids are like gonna latch on to things that they remember from you know Percy Jackson or or, or you know something that's Harry Potterish, and be like, oh yeah, we could totally get that into into the D and D structure. Oh yeah. It, it absorb almost anything. So are the 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 parents that are calling you? Are they are they D and D players usually, or have they just heard about this it, guy who comes and runs parties? And it varies uh, pretty wildly whether they're players or not. Largely, the the, the classes run into the birthday parties as mm-hmm. as the business has grown, because um, that's where I, I started uh, was with the classes, basically because I had run one session for some friends and a friend had said what you do is essentially performance art you should do this for the kids in this after school thing and one of the insane items on my impossible bucket list was get paid <laughs> to run a role playing game and I thought okay that would make two items in one year which would only leave uh, technically standing on another planet but I'll take at this point based on the technology being in orbit in microgravity that would be acceptable and that would be my three bigs um, <laughs> on your bucket list that you Yeah, the, you the ones I didn't think All I was right. going to get to do. The, the, the third one having been uh, give a eulogy at a stranger's funeral, which, <laughs> which was miraculous that that one happened too. That, that happened? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm counting it. I'm counting it. A friend, I gave a eulogy at a friend of mine's mother's funeral, and I had had two sentences of conversation with her ever from across a dinner table 15 years earlier. Was she talking about? Well, he made an impression. No, she was. She was having an extremely loud argument with uh, another guest at the table uh, for pure contrarian sake. And like, I tried to engage, got a response, immediately realized it was not worth being a part of that conversation. <laughs> was this what the eulogy was about? Uh, yeah. No, I noticed no. that it was not a good eulogy. You were like, I just no, need to give a, an eulogy. It doesn't mean right. no, no. Actually, uh, her her husband was happy with it. That, I think, so that's the accomplishment. And that has to do with, with improv, basically, which also has to do with how I get the performance art and the DMing done yeah. and all of that, is that um, I had a period where I... I when, I when I was really little, uh, like, when I, when I got back into it, like, post-Satanic Panic and all of that process that everybody goes through when they're yeah. younger, I... Um, when I first moved to Colorado, when I was 12, I didn't have any friends for a long time. It was just me and the library and fantasy novels, and then uh, Fairrun books and Dragon and book, uh, Dragonlance books and Dark Sun and oh, Planescape, <laughs> and which to this day Tony DiTerlizzi is one of my personal heroes, um, and Monty Cook and uh, yeah. Giants, all yeah. Of them. So, so I just I got really into world building because that's all I really had for a long time, and I <laughs> I made myself friends. And then <laughs> they were um, all on sheets. They were NPC right? characters. Right, and then that, and, and then when I finally and I would talk to each other. When I finally found a group to play with, I had all this material, and so I played a little bit. And then there was this point where I realized I can't ever stick to any character because I want to play all the characters, and so the only thing I can do is DM. And right. so for how old am I? Close to 20 years, I've only run games. 
I played a, I've, I played some mm-hmm. here and there, but um, just I, to, they, you know, yeah, just to know what it's like but to be on the other side. Even when I was playing, at some point, I would talk my way into running for a while. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, in college, I did have one game that ran for about two years that I only got to run a few months of. Nice, still good. Still very good. Um, All right, cool. So, uh, uh, so when you uh, transitioned into doing these after-school spe- uh, specials, I, they're not after-school specials. <laughs> the more you know. Uh, so, yeah, how did you get? How did how did you come up with the curriculum for that? So, well, um, I'll, I'll confess. For the first four sessions, I wasn't one hundred percent sure what I was doing. Um, I started like, off fifth session. Down. You learned right. Well, what I what I started off with is I said, okay, well, let's create a classroom experience, and I took individual components of dungeoneering and of battle. And I reduced them to uh, sort of a, a classroom scene. And then when we did the colored tile on the floor sets off X type of trap, and then we did a maze, and then we did um, so, some isolation puzzles where there's a pillar in the middle of an oubliette, and they have, to, as a team, have to figure out how to get to the pillar. And then I'd break them into groups, and the rogues would have to solve a task, and then the wizards, and then the fighters. No one ever plays a cleric for some reason. <laughs> Um, good right, reason. right. <laughs> Nobody wants to take time to kill their it, friends. Right, right, right. Well, especially because the sessions are tight. It's only an hour long, the after-school class. And in my biggest class ever, I had thirteen players. Oh. So to make sure everybody gets an action, you you need them to die off if yeah. there's thirteen. Well, no, no clearing. No, no, no. I've I've, <laughs> I've only had two in-game deaths. Both were totally dramatic and awesome. And that's the only reason I allowed it to happen. Because I, I just give everybody max hit points so that they can get wailed on, and I try not to let them miss because there's not a lot of time. Yeah. Because the real point is that they have to be deeply enthused about their characters and about the story so that when I ask them to write, they will. Right. Um, anyway, the the um, I took all of those opening salvos, those you know the tile puzzle and the oubliette puzzle and the maze and everything, and then I put them in a dungeon that contained all of those things um, and had them run through it and hunt down a minotaur in the heart of it. And that was when I realized that I did not understand entirely what 12 third level characters in a party could do to a monster. Oh, yeah. Um, But I learned fast. (laughs) Um, Because I could not believe that they just grounded into hamburgers so quick. It's just, and it it has to be a fast paced game. I'm I'm proud of the, the best session I ever had. It's 13 players, 12 monsters, and we had three rounds of action in an hour. So I can keep them going. Um, Because I'll also just tell them, when it comes your turn, be ready, or it's the next person's turn. And that keeps them very... You you skip someone once, and it keeps everyone focused all day. (laughs) I've heard about people doing that for uh, for the adult games as well. I I did that in the last session of my adult game. (laughs) I came came back, but... uh, Do you allow phones at the table? The first time that happened, because for me, I'm, I'm an artist on stage, and I'm like trying to be up there, and you know, I'm, I'm doing these voices and these faces and costumes and characters, and I'm trying to bring their attention to the table. And at my adult game, people started bringing out the phones, and it, I, had to, I had to just like take a deep breath and hold it in and wait and see what was happening. And then I figured out they were actually live tweeting what was happening and being really excited. So I, I created a Facebook group for that game so they can all just pile onto it. And that actually has become a repository for stories that I've written for them. Oh, that, and good. we tell jokes. And like Dorks of Yore did a thing the other day about halfling strength, and I posted that because our main tank is a halfling fighter. Nice. Um, <laughs> she is a tank. 
Um, I gave her some items I shouldn't have, but uh, <laughs> I can always take them away. You, yeah, and the, the player hears me now and knows. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you can't take things away from kids, though. Only the adult games. No, no, no. In right. the in the in the kids games, that was that was the sort of the first line. Is what I what I do at the very beginning is that we pull out the trinket table from the player's handbook, oh, and nice. everybody rolls three times. You pick your favorite one. We write it down on a piece of paper, and you have to write. It depends on your grade level. Um, a paragraph, a page, or as much as three pages when we get up to the seventh and eighth graders about that trinket. And it will become magical either in any way you want it to, or we can brainstorm about what it should do based on the description. And my favorite thing about that is they never come up with what I thought it should do. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is awesome. They're like, here's a feather, and like this is a feather of fire. Right. And it blows you up. Yeah, yeah. and it's actually it's a quill that the, the tip of it has a permanent reservoir of ink from the desk of Ignis, the Lord of the Third Plane of Fire. Well, That's way better than what it. I just came up with. <laughs> yeah. You have some improv background, I yeah, see. That, well, yeah, what yeah. is your background? Um <laughs> I have a, a, a bachelor's in anthropology, okay. and uh, I ran retail stores for a long time for Barnes and Noble and Borders. Um, Did I, you take I, improv classes? No, I okay. I've done this. I, I DM'd. That's well. That is essentially yeah. when it's an improv. Class. Well, the, and the the improv part came from when I um, I ran a year and a half a campaign. I was allowed one side of a three by five note card per session. That's it and a soundtrack. And I had to go in with just that and run for four to six hours per session every week and just keep it going without no planning, no thought, just let the, just, Whoa. and it, I developed this way of GMing that I use now that I don't write plots. I create a web of places in the geography and the stream of time moving forward in the world that the players can move between and any place that they move has implications for the places that they don't move. So, um, and in the bigger games, when I'm running a campaign, I can do this stuff where, yeah. uh, there, say there's three or four villains, and if they go over here to fight villain one, then villain four gets to stay over here and just keep doing his thing as long as they don't go over there. So there's always, but that also means that as the campaign moves forward, I guess in sort of a Bioware structural sense, um, the difficulty of each individual subplot or encounter is increased proportional to how much you've leveled on your way there, but not necessarily. I've, I've also, I like to put things in that people cannot beat. Yeah, and so people have, have like a, there's danger. You yeah. Know, you, you need to be able to run away and or come up with a better plan to, to thwart that thing. But I also like that, what you're talking about, because that makes the world seem like it actually is being changed and affected. I've mean, I played in campaigns where it, you know, you, you overthrow the king and then the king's son would just take over and it'd be like the exact same country. And you're like, oh man, yeah, you're, no. just, you're just steamrolling us. You gotta make it feel like yeah. there's a, a, a live. That's one of the things I think that catches some of the kids. I actually, one of my, one of my favorite triads I have is uh, in my middle school game, I have a player who's been with me for three years. His little brother just this year started in my elementary school game, and his dad is in my adult campaign. Oh, so their characters are all interrelated. Um, Neat. And it, it, well, there's sort of a sidetrack, too. Um, and the, the politics of the world, I won't go into it that much, unless you want to hear it. Of course, then I'll ramble for hours, Wait, I'm after, sure. After, after, <laughs> when we're off mic, we'll talk. Um, Galden, uh, Galenden was the name of this character. And in the adult campaign, as a, as a gag, I named uh, the father of a different character, a different player than the father of the player in the young game. 
um, Galadin Sutcliffe the eighth, and his son is the ninth, and he's playing the third son who doesn't keep to continue the name, but is there's kind of a, a path of heredity there. And then there's this magical heredity from the character that's now passed to the father of the character. So this whole complex series. I need, I need a diagram. I need yeah. a, a yeah. family I'd have to tree. Draw a picture of that. Yeah. No, yeah. but that that's but that's the level it's reached. Is that because every single one of the games? And actually, this is uh, the number one dream I've been able to achieve by doing so many campaigns at once. Is I have now what I call my meta meta game, which is that all well. All four of the campaigns that are ongoing, plus the birthday parties, take place in the same world um, at different points in time and space. So oh. all of them affect all the others. So there was a oh point where a keep had been locked down and the party couldn't get into it in the campaign. It was because in the kids' game, they had screwed up and managed... Well, I say screwed up. They had not done what I intended and instead created a massive magical explosion that had to be contained. So the entire... Um, Magisterium had had to in the area had had to come and contain it with all the available wizards and sorcerers they could find, and um, basically it all comes down to who gets to play a scene first. So, right. whoever whichever group arrives at a given location first gets to make the primary impact, and then stuff happens like they get written into the world where that name Gallandon now has meaning all over the world and. All different cultures claim him as a hero figure, and he has a different last name depending on which culture you're talking to. So the local thing where his last name is Sutcliffe is purely propaganda, but it has supported a fake noble house for over 500 years. But how do you, how do you keep track of all of this? I well, like I said, like world building is 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 the essence of what I do. Like I because I actually have. So I'll, I'll I'll say this is that the the world where I play mostly is on a flat Earth. That occurs under uh, the Ark of Heaven. There's a dome over it, like those old medieval uh, illustrations where you see somebody peeking through a crack and all the, the, the stars are just holes pinpricked in a, a dome of the sky. And then outside that are vast uh, brass disks that extend out to about 70 astronomical units, which contain the actual planets and keep them moving in their orbits because outside of that is the world's wall, which is called that because it's made of all the worlds that didn't make it through the end of the cosmos. Because everything that remains is just, uh, that's why the, the adult setting I call Revenant Age, because it's a revenant universe. It's been forced back into life to prevent its end by being so powerful that you can't stop them from doing that. And then the goal is to try to reboot it. But the quite yeah. I haven't quite gotten in the meta-meta campaign to the question of whether that's the right thing to do or not. But so we'll do your players, uh, uh, maybe I'm just more talking about the adult players at this point, do they get a sense of the vastness of, of your world building here, or are they only just really concerned about what's happening at the table? Both do, actually, because uh, like when I was talking earlier about the first mother, in order to get there, you have to go to an island at the edge of the world and catch a train that then moves across the brass disks, and there's a stop on her right butt cheek called Dragon Flank Station. That's the pro well, you can fly there too, but that's really expensive, so most people don't do that. <laughs> most um, people, most people are smart; they're thrifty, <laughs> right? Yeah, they don't um, want to spend a lot. Or you know, if you if you really need to get there, chances are you can probably just teleport there, um, which is what I usually have them do because it's too much work to actually get them there. Yeah, that's, that's like um, an adventure into so itself. The the kids see it, and actually they get they get really uh, uppity is the word I'll use if I if I keep like I show them glimmers constantly because um, it's all connected and it's all built in, and the the teachers at the Apotheosis Institute at Dungeon School are all the biggest players in the good guy air quotes, side of uh, 
of the the fight. Um, all okay, of them so, are. So are they player characters in your other campaigns, or are they just no, no, imp- the, powerful the, NPCs? The educators are are just sort of cornerstone NPCs. Okay. Um, like I've got my classic old, like the old wizard, old man Jasper, who leads the magic <laughs> classes at Dungeon School, and has no eyes, mostly because he's been forced to give them up, because when he has all of them, well, his power exceeds what the universe can contain. And until such, what? I've only once tricked them into getting them two. And when I, uh, when I, when he had two eyes, I switched out my little wizard figurine for my Orcus figurine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the two. And they've seen him with five. With five eyes? Yeah, he was the size of a small moon and using tentacles to throw asteroids at something out on the edge of the cosmos. Um, so th- those are the teachers. They're they're <laughs> they're bad bad monsters. That was a great voice, though. That was <laughs> yeah. really good. Well, they're it's yeah. almost as good as, as wow. your Ernie and uh, Bert. And Bert. My pin. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually very similar. <laughs> kind of. In uh, in timber, yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right, so uh, uh, so you said that you have uh, now your, your quote unquote adult campaign, which I still think is is uh, very uh, enticing. Um, <laughs> they are uh, 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 subscribers. Are they paying? Yes. How does that work? Um, <laughs> Tito's like touch. Hey, yeah. Well, they've been giving away for free. Basically, it's uh, it, for, for direct quotes. You can you can request one at, at bespokelegends.com. Uh huh. Um, but it's a flat fee per session uh, for a standard three hours, and uh, then a little bit more if you want me to go a lot longer than that. Yeah. Um, now, do you run it for like a group? Or do you have like an ongoing group weekly group that so always does it? This this group, it's there are eight players, and if four of them can show up, we do it. Okay. Um, in the summer, I think that's amounted to two sessions so far. That's pretty. That's good. still pretty good, yeah. For, yeah. right? Yeah, for for adults especially, because everybody's got kids and everybody's got stuff. But um, yeah, that, that's long and short of it. Each of them has uh, their their character has a unique subplot that ties into the primary plot. Each of them has a plot arc. We just got finished with uh, the liberation of Ildendor from the Azure Ruin, uh, a unspeakably massive blue dragon that had taken over a, a Dwaro is the term I use for dwarf. Dwarf's not a nice word in this world. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, it's because humans use it to mean something different. Right. Um, and that, you know, they have their own language. Yeah, anyway. Um, Makes sense. Without getting into the language politics of fictitious species. Uh, <laughs> you're already there, man. Right? Yeah, you're well, living in you're it. In it's very hard for you to answer a question because know, you start going just, on to like, well, this is this detail, this is that detail, which is great for a DM. Together. But the, the, with the adult, when I say adult, it basically means a few things. I'm in the process of moving them through a heavily modded version of Curse of Strahd. Mm-hmm. And the horror scenes that I've added to the castle, I'm really looking forward to. We're going nice. to find out whether some of them want to show up for a little while. Because I'm coming up for, for Halloween. Uh, it should come out right on time. Yeah. And uh, if, if I can make it happen. And the, 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 the scene where they meet my Strahd on a log is... Uh, Strahd on a log. It's, uh, I'm, I'm super excited for it because it is, it is uniquely gross and horrific. <laughs> and it is, there's, there's body horror and there's emotional stuff and... There's a good chance. Yeah, there's there's a good chance that about half of them are going to attack, and And you're like, yes. Yeah, there's a TPK in that moment, right there. Like if if they. I really hope your players are not listening to this podcast. Seriously. uh, 
Oh, they they will. And the thing is, is that they they are still gonna attack. They, well, yeah. they they they're used to how much information I just puke at them all the time, and so some of them are just like, well, something happened. Because <laughs> I have a few tanks, so they're just like, as long as I just get to beat something to death today, it's fine. And so, <laughs> okay. and then, so money got, well spent. Yeah, I've got the tanks, and then I've got um, what I call the magophiles, who I am. One of the skills I spent a lot of time working on is magobabble, like the the. Feather thing I made up a little while ago, yeah. um, and I can go on like that for a while. And s- some of them love that, and some of them would really rather I stop. Sometimes it's and kind of like the the tachyon particles uh, yeah. from the emitter beam. Is it, if I get there, if I say my, the word, if Wesley I say the shirt. word quantum out loud during it, then I'm I'm out. I have to stop. They, <laughs> that's they're, they're that's your safe word, or you're like, yeah. You're like right. if, if I've gone there, you know, I've run out of something to actually say, and I'm just like, this sounds weird. Yeah, it's yeah. sciency. Yeah, uh, I, I like to make magic sound like a science that has no real explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Lost, everything yeah. seems to make sense, right? But, but it, it really make, doesn't. Makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> right? There's a black and a white, and that's all you know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, all right. So going back to not, not so much delving into the storyline, but I think right. the business model is kind of interesting okay. for people because mm-hmm. uh, I remember I don't know maybe this and was, don't be sorry by the way yeah this don't is be sorry fascinating yeah. stuff so we're gonna have <laughs> it's our job to rein you in as uh, the DMs of this conversation um, so uh, uh, there was a thread on En World I remember 10, 15 years ago about someone purporting to start a business yeah. using mass and theatricality and they were really excited about uh, you know selling DMing as an experience and I remember it was a very different time but they were being like laughed being like that's crazy why would Nobody anyone would pay you to yeah and that. why would anyone pay like your friends to DM for you or you know strangers to DM for you is even crazier right and I think the advent of uh, uh, you know acquisitions incorporated and critical role and all these people who are now you know, watching it happen and seeing it done on a, uh, a on a performance level has kind of really shifted that perspective a lot. Uh, and you're kind of like a living testament to that. Is this something that you would have thought could have happened 15 years ago? Did you dream of this and knew well, one day it would happen, or or what? It was on that. It was on that bucket list. I I. When did you make that bucket list? <sighs> Those three items are from when I was uh, 13. Oh, oh okay. God. So yeah. And it took a long time, and I still don't have that last one. But eventually, that other planet is going to be yeah. It's going <laughs> to get. We're going back to the moon now. Exactly. Yeah. We're mean, going maybe to not. We're gonna blow up the not moon. Even Wait. No. That, <laughs> that guy, that Matt Damon dude, was on Mars. So you're halfway there. Yeah. <laughs> so sure, yeah, how, what, how, how did, how did uh, uh, what, what do you think shifted in in gaming? Is it pop more popular now, or is it just because the idea of it being time, a performance? They want to... less time. Yeah. What is it? So I'll I'll say that I do think that the advent of Twitch streaming and podcasting has made it a lot more accessible to more people who people who would have been in my position where you're desperate for a group. And you, you want to have that kind of exciting uh, and also the chaos of it, which is what I love the most. Is just I, I love taking everybody's insane silliness and weaving it together to create an ongoing moment. In, in, in the last game session of my adult campaign, they jumped a boat off a waterfall and landed it on a bridge um, while the bard was... Uh, jamming rock jams on his guitar, which now shoots fire. Um, a la Mad Max, Fury Road. Yeah, admitted, well, yeah. 
It, it pretty much is directly from there. Um, <laughs> but I, I think if there's ever been a more compelling argument in favor of bards, that movie is it because that character oh, yeah. like, is just. Uh, yeah, he's I, like the war bard, like the right? like the, the skull, the, like the penultimate. Pounding the, like everybody gets um, pumped up. Yeah. If I was a bard, that's what I would do. <laughs> but I, I distracted myself. I got. Yeah, you get you get into the story details, and we're all like, I, I "Yeah, tell us more, tell us more." But like, yeah, brain you gotta hire him. The well, so that's away. the problem. Okay, so actually, okay, to answer the, your actual <laughs> question, so um, in terms of what I do, it's that everyone dreams of the perfect campaign. It's what that's, they see in their head, mm-hmm. and if you come to me and tell me what you see in your head, I will put it on your table. You don't have to do anything other than show up, roll dice, dice, have a beer. And just sit back with your friends and have an amazing time. All of the setting pieces, all of the miniatures, all of the yeah, you're like acting, one that stop all shop in here. You bring everything. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying. I, I feel like my collection could really grow, but I don't know that there's anyone out there who really doesn't feel like their collection could grow. Chris Perkins. His um, could get bigger. I mean, let's be honest. I, 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 I'm sure he. There's something out there. Something's gonna come out that he'll want, even if he doesn't have it now. It's true. Um, and and he'll get to decide what that something is. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So so uh, uh, you're you're a dream maker. Yeah. Is that absolutely? That's what you're yeah. The. the is yeah, fantasy baseball camps and uh, yeah. Uh, exactly. that well, I'm actually thing, summer like, camps. This is a fantasy summer fantasy camps camp. are going to be coming up. Um, I'm not. I'm currently living in a rental, and when we move to a permanent uh, place, which is what we're in the market to do right now, why we ended up in the rental, um, I'm going to have a studio, and at that point, I'll have the studio, hopefully with direct access to the backyard, and we'll do. I'm going to be doing summer camps where we'll do. Uh, story workshopping, followed by two or three oh hours of a crawl. God. Then we'll go outside and do some practice Warping. Uh, Warping. foam fighting. Yep. And um, work on miniature painting if kids want to do that. Like any, anything that they want to do, but mainly write and play. Okay, so I would like to reserve a spot in that camp for like <laughs> three or four years. For you, years. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why not? By, by, by then, I'll actually have, <laughs> I'll be able to get that going. It's, it's getting up over the hill. In, in two years, my youngest is in school full time, and, and I'm hoping to have built the business to, at that point, be able to actually move as quickly and as agilely as I'd like to. <laughs> so the, um, the after school program. Now, hmm. how did you get into schools to do this? So um, I originally, I, I, was in, I was in a board gaming group here is the first thing closest thing i could get to uh to any kind of role-playing game for a long time we we played the uh the game of thrones game at least once a month for a long time and i would occasionally make comments like this isn't that much more complicated than D &D." (laughs) and just sort of sleek it in there bit by bit until (laughs) one day i got them to try and I, i i had them uh you know take online quizzes or just tell me what they wanted and i built some characters and we started going and then more and more people have gotten picked up along the way. Uh, I had a policy for a long time. If I found a, uh, a, a, a group orphan out there who is looking to get back, I've got people who haven't played since uh, the spines of the books were orange. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they're back in now, and they're loving it. Because <laughs> I, 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 yeah, our, our, our main caster wrote magic user on her character sheet. <laughs> <laughs> and every session I tell her, like, you have to switch it to wizard or sorcerer because I keep forgetting which it is. Right. And every time I look at your sheet, like none of the, imp- uh, anyway. It all says magic user. Right. That's all I and it's, it's, yeah. yeah. And um, there's a fighting man as well. <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah, not, 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 ah, that would be great. But, um, so yeah, how did you get into schools? How did you, how did so you get? That, that board gaming group, I 
tricked into being a D&D group, and that was the point where uh, we had, there was a, a, a mother in the group who of the kid at the school who told me, like, this is the performance art. You really need to go and do this with the kids. They'd love it. And then there was a spot at uh, Seattle Jewish Community School where my, where my younger kids were at the time. And this was actually also on the side. I had been trying to run from my kids because they really wanted to know what I was doing because I was really excited about it all yeah. the time. <laughs> about uh, how long ago was this? Um, with my kids, it was three years ago. It's, only, it's barely been two years since oh, okay. I've been in the school. My, my first year, I only had one class. Um, the second year, I, I briefly had one, but then the kids who had graduated had moved on to Billings Middle School, where my other classes are now, and um, they kept coming back for the classes, but mm-hmm. sixth graders and third graders cannot hear the same story, because the sixth graders require a level of discipline that destroys the third graders' sense of agency and their creativity, and the third graders need enough freedom of imagination that if I allowed the sixth graders to do that, they would just ruin everything because it would be cool ideas, but it would just, it, yeah, it would be Godzilla on a steamroller smashing everything. It just, right, it'd right. Be, yeah, it'd be cool, but it would be dysfunctional. So and you learn how to, how to curtail it for each audience. What, yeah, and I ended up having to remove the sixth graders and I followed them to that school and that brought me up to three classes um, because enough kids there heard about it when it was one class that it had to become another one and then parents from those classes got me involved in the idea of working with Asperger's kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to um, talk about that too. And I, I, I will say that's something I'm, I'm still working towards. I do work with Asperger's kids in my classes specifically. Um, I am not certified as a psychologist to do so. My expertise is purely in performance and storytelling. Mm-hmm. But I do understand where they're coming from personally. And um, there's this idea called the sensory funnel. And I, I, that's sort of the model I use for moving towards them. And the idea is a lot of people try to start at social skills. And under the social skills is um, the, the focus issues. And under the focus issues are awareness issues. And under the awareness issues are the sensory issues. And the sensory issues are things like picky eaters, um, tactile sensory overload. And those lead to the awareness problems where a kid shuts down. Um, and this is the area where I try to short circuit it. Because if you go straight to social skills, then you'll end up fighting with them. Yeah. And nobody wins. Um, the first thing I learned when I got into a middle school classroom was that the only way I could get them to come with me is if, come to me is if I went to them first. Right. Um, and that's the root of this, is that basically I create something awesome happening in the room that stimulates their senses in multiple ways. I have intro music that I do and the voices and... Um, if the schools will let me, I, I just got this really awesome incense burner that's uh, a dragon shape and the smoke comes out of its mouth Ooh. that I want to use as a set piece yeah. as well. But like, So I can really get multi-sensory stuff going on. And it creates an environment where uh, they become very aware of what's happening and it helps them focus. And at that point, when they're totally focused in on the game and aware of what's happening in the game, at that point... I model social challenges. I don't directly confront them with it. There, there's almost always a nonviolent solution to every single scene that I write. Yeah. Uh, my personal favorite was a kid who got the guardian spirit of a fountain to just leave by singing a song. He came in with a song he wrote oh in the interim between two classes. And I was like, all right, he just lets you have the fountain. I, I, I had two sessions of a fight here, but no, <laughs> well, you, we want you to, to sing. You gotta yeah. And did he, he sing it? Oh, yeah. He sang the song out loud, made a performance check. I gave him plus 15 because he stood there and sang the song. Yeah. And he rolled like a 36. Jeez. And 
Yeah, yeah. You're like, yep, spirit is yeah. is assuaged. Yeah. And so I ended up having to buff up the other end of that campaign a little bit. But, you know, that's where the improv part comes in. I can mess yeah. around with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really fascinating. And then they start jostling. Like, when everybody wants to sing a song. Well, he huh. did an original artistic thing. That's He did a character thing. Right. right? You know, like, that's... Your fighter's not going to... Yeah. And well, you know, if the fighter did, you know... That that was that was the sorcerer. Oh. Yeah, it wasn't even a, a bard. I've only had one bard, and actually, that kid has never sung. We talk <laughs> we talk about music a lot, but right. Well, yeah. not our bar, all bards are good singers. Yeah. You know, sometimes they're just percussionists just or storytellers. I like I like the idea of a bard as an actor too. Like that they're 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 just you know. I have this performers just like everybody else. I have this quixotic dream of managing to create a culinary bard mm, but like an iron chef kind of yeah yeah you know and but that kind of magic is so combat useless oh yeah i don't even know what you would do you just have pre-prepared vials of sense and it'd be like that scene in ratatouille where he eats the the bite and he shoots back and he's like having this moment so you just throw your potion at the orcs and all of a sudden they remember their mothers <laughs> Those cantrips that, that are yeah. like the uh, the bards, like uh, yeah. you know, vicious rebuke or whatever, yeah, and you're like, twist Here, around a little bit. Eat this. Oh man, eat this bad orc <laughs> who's trying to attack me. <laughs> oh, I remember my childhood. <laughs> right, he's just like orc on his knees weaving. <laughs> you're like oh. psychic damage. I caused all of yeah. the psychic damage. <laughs> this is all Here's super hoping. fascinating. I feel like we could talk to you uh, for a whole another hour. And uh, mm. get even more information about your your amazing game world. Well, it's going to keep growing. Where can people go uh, check out and well, hire you? And uh, hire you in the Seattle area. Bespokelegends.com is uh, my my freshly uh, minted website where I'm oh, going nice. to be I'm going to be blogging about this. I, I'm on Facebook. Dungeon School is what I was using before, um, but then as I started doing things that weren't for kids, I had to have a more general term. So it's Bespoke Legends and BespokeLegends.com. Um, but Dungeon School on Facebook or Bespoke Legends on Facebook. But cool. they're both there. And um, you can see all of my old campaigns. There's pictures from all of them and descriptions of the plots and all the crazy scenes with miniatures. Um, yeah. Very cool. Are you willing to travel? <laughs> if someone's like, yeah, hey, how, I have this birthday party. In, can um, you Skype as a de- Well, you can't bring all your props, I guess. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because for me, a big part of what makes me successful as a DM is the ability to read the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I can read everybody in the room and get a sense of what they need from me at a given moment, then I can sort of shift the dynamic of the energy in the space. And I've I've never done that through Skype. I've never tried it yeah. to see if I could read people. I have a group that I would love to play with that way, but they're all over the world in different time zones. <laughs> It'd be a challenge. It's always a challenge. Well, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Ben. It was really great talking to you. Uh, uh, you're, you're, uh, I can already tell you're an amazing DM just <laughs> yep. by having this conversation. Mm. So you're doing great work. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It, it'd be you. my pleasure to continue amazing anyone who's interested in being amazed. Nice. <laughs> you're like, I'm ready so to sign up be, for amazing. Bespoke legends is where people can go to find out yep. about hiring you. As Absolutely. Well. Okay. For kids and adults. Yes. Okay. And middle-aged people as well as elderly. <laughs> sure. And dogs. Yeah, if, dogs if, would be great. If you want to play, call me up. We'll be legendary. All right. Oh, that's a good tagline. It's really good. Is that on the website? Yeah. Okay, good. Tito's, That's the Tito's gonna That's call sweet. you right after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I wanna I, I don't care what the flat fee is. <laughs> <laughs> Bake me legendary. Hey, wait, can I trade D and D swag for this? Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. I, I have a player who does. Nice. Yeah. All right. I mean he's gonna give me a tour right after this. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Well again, thank you so much and uh, uh, yeah, happy gaming going forward. Thanks, Ben. Sweet. You're welcome. Thank you. 
Uh, oh my god. So Ben Cameron is like my new Dungeon Master hero. I could kind of tell. I yeah. think you were developing a little... Because I want to know all about his world and his crazy world ideas with the brass plates and the mother dragon. He was... He was real good. Yeah, and it's all locked in his brain pan, I, which is amazing. And he has five kids. And he's got five kids. We didn't even get into that. But I it's know. like, how did how did you find the time for those kids? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I was going to, never mind. No, you weren't going to mention that. Uh, all right, so definitely go check out bespokelegends.com. Yes. Uh, this is an amazing story. And hopefully, I mean, I don't know, he was a really good guest. Maybe we'll get back and maybe he, he'll like, run something for oh, us I or something. I there's, think there's more there. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me, I'm at Greg Tito. You can ask me any any questions you want about stuff, the dungeon mastering? I feel like I'm a novice now compared to this dude. Um, that was amazing. What about you, Shelly? Where, where can they find you? Uh, find me on Twitter, at Shelly Moo. That's or awesome. Avalon Hill. Nice. Avalon Hill 2, the number 2. The number 2, yeah. not T-O-O or T-W-O. No. no. Nice. No. And, of course, Wizards uh, official Dungeons & Dragons Twitter is uh, Wizards underscore D-N-D. Uh, the N, not the ampersand. Right. Ampersand We're breaks so Twitter. I know, it's so annoying. But of course, you can always find out more about Dungeons and Dragons at DungeonsDragons.com. If you like us, give us a good uh, rating on iTunes. It helps. It makes people like us more and find us. So uh, go ahead and do that. And if you have any uh, negative comments, make sure you uh, all message them to Shelly. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, guys. We'll That's see you next true. week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.